Let us pray. Holy Spirit, come open up our hearts, our minds, our ears to hear the word you have to speak to us this morning. May the word preached honor and bring glory to your name. Amen. So, continuing on the theme of things I like and don't like out of that game we played earlier. One thing I really hate, actually, is I hate being lied to. I hate being lied to. It's one of the things I hate. And you know what is, is especially awful? Is when kids lie. When kids lie. And I know, I know the day is going to come where my, my kids grow up and they're probably going to tell me a lie. I'm, I'm hopefully going to pray against that. But it's going to happen. They're going to lie to me. And it's, it's just going to break my heart. I just, I hate lying. Because lying is horrible. And believing lies, believing false things can have such dire consequences in our lives. Uh, when you believe, you know, things that are false and they lead you astray. Uh, you know, right now in our culture, the, the truth is, is kind of hard to discern. You know, there's people legitimately creating fake news. There's people claiming things are fake that aren't fake. You know, and then there's all, all kinds of people that say, well, it's all just relative anyway. You know, what, what your truth is, is my truth, and it doesn't matter. We can't even discern the truth. It's so difficult. It's so confusing right now, and it's a very crazy time in our world. And when you believe a lie that's about spiritual and eternal matters, that lie can have spiritual and eternal consequences. And this is a, a theme of the entire Bible, this battle between the truth and the lie. I mean, how did it start in the Garden of Eden? Do you remember what happened? Eve believed the lie, and Adam right along with her. Satan lied to them in the Garden. We've been believing lies ever since. And then when Jesus came into the world, what did he say? He said, Satan is the father of lies. And he said, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And so this, our spiritual lives are a continual battle against learning to believe the truth over and against the lie. And we've been in this series, Major Messages from the Minor Prophets, and we're at the end, so that's, that's pretty exciting. And I want to talk about this theme, truth versus the lie, from the book of Malachi. And if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the book of Malachi. It's right before Matthew, right before the New Testament, that might help you. Uh, and what I want to talk about this morning is five lies Christians believe. Five lies Christians believe. Or maybe you don't believe it right now, or you're, or you're tempted to believe it, but five lies that Christians believe. Now, I know the title of your sermon says something different on your notes, but I had to get something into Matthias before we left on vacation, and then inspiration hit me differently. <laughs> so, so just cross that right out, and we're talking about five lies Christians believe. And let me give you a little context. Uh, Malachi, he's, he's the last of the minor prophets, and so he's also last chronologically. So if you remember Haggai, he rebuilt the temple. Well, we're about 60 or so years after that, about 450 years before Christ. That's the time frame we're talking. And things in Haggai, they had gone quite well. Remember, the people obeyed and they rebuilt the temple. But another generation later, and we find that people are passionless again, that their worship is rote, and God has to speak to them through his prophet. And so if you, read the, if you read the book, you notice that there's these kind of disputations, there's these disputes between God and the people, between what they believe and what is actually true. And so I want to talk about five things that I, I saw from the book of Malachi that I think are relevant to our lives today. And the first lie that we're tempted to believe is God doesn't love us. The first lie we're tempted with is God doesn't love us. Look at how Malachi opens in verse 2. God says, I have loved you. I have loved you, says the Lord. 
If you remember how we began this series, we began with the prophet Hosea. That's how the minor prophets open. It's, it's this image of God who is pursuing his people, his unfaithful spouse. He's pursuing them, winning them back, and drawing him back to himself. A God whose love does not give up. So the minor prophets open with this amazing picture of God's love for us. And then it ends with the opening saying, I have loved you. God's trying to get his message across. He really loves us. He really loves you. But the message hasn't sank in. Look what the people say right after this. He says, well, how have you loved us? I mean, par parents, I mean, can, can you imagine if you were to tell your children, I have loved you from the moment you were born. And then they were to say, well, pff, well how? I mean, can, I mean you might, first you might just be sad at that, but then you might be upset. You might just say like, boy, I brought you into this world and I know how to take you out. What do you mean, how have I loved you? You know very well. But God, he wants to get the message across still. He does, and he indulges the question anyway, and so he gives them an example. And he says, I chose Jacob over Esau. And what he means there is, I chose you over Edom. I chose the Israelites, this people. He says, look, from the, from the very beginning of the Bible with Abraham, Genesis 12, God has chosen this family. So this entire story so far has been God's faithfulness to this group of people. What do you mean, how have you loved, how have you loved us? He's been doing this since the beginning. But don't we do the same thing? We so easily dismiss what God has done for us in the past. We so easily dismiss it. We discount it. And we forget and we start doubting his love for us. Or perhaps you begin to doubt, well, well, yeah, God loves the world, but does, does God really love me? And the truth is that he does. Now, God, yes, God loves the whole world. His, his love is universal. He is more infinitely and supremely loving than you could imagine. But yet, he loves you personally. And so there's nothing mistaken in the song that we sing every week that Jesus loves me. This I know. Look what Paul says in Galatians 2.20 up on the screen. He says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, Paul knew that the cross was the salvation of the whole world, but he could say at the same time, Jesus did that for me. Jesus loved me. And he's blown away that God would do something for him. And so the truth of the matter is we can picture Jesus on that cross, suffering and dying and bleeding. We can say, he was thinking of you. He was doing it just for you. He loves you. He's trying to get the message across. And so I think many of us, you, you don't really believe, maybe you don't doubt that God's love you, but you don't believe it enough that you let it change your life. You haven't let it sink in. And so what you do is you try to find your worth and your identity in all kinds of things. Your work, your family, your possessions. And you're striving for something, not realizing that you find all you need in a loving God who loves you and has given himself for you. So if you're doubting that this morning, I believe God wants you to know how much he loves you. So if you're doubting that, if you're struggling with that, ask him, pray for it. And I believe he will show you. So that is the first lie that we're tempted to believe. And I'm glad that one was at the beginning. <laughs> Because the other ones are a little bit harder for us to, to take. And so let's, let's talk about the other ones. Number two, the second lie we're tempted to believe is that God likes our leftovers. God likes our leftovers. You see, in chapter one, I hope you read the book, and if you're not, you can kind of skim as I'm talking about this. What was happening is the priests, they were offering blemished sacrifices to God. 
They were, they were taking animals that had some type of disease or, or sickness or some type, of, uh, uh, something, some type of defect, and they were offering those instead of their best. And actually, this was against the law. God had a law, and he said you should offer only perfect sacrifices. So the priests knew better, but then only they said, well, you know, God, God will take it anyway. God will take it anyway. And you might think God would be understanding, well, you know, well, hey, they're, they're at least giving me something. They're at least remembering me. They're at least thinking about me. You know, they're at least worshiping me in some way. And God could not be had the more opposite response. Look what God, God says in verse 10, chapter 1. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors. We just shut the doors. We've come a long way from God saying, rebuild the temple. Now he's saying, shut the thing down. Just shut it down. If that's the kind of worship you're going to offer, I don't even want it. That's what God's saying. Shut the door. If you're going to offer me these scraps, these leftovers, I don't want it. I mean, I mean, how much would you really want leftovers yourself? You know, in fact, I got, got some leftovers here. A little, little uh, chocolate bar. And I, I haven't finished eating it. It's a little, little moist. Look, it's kind of gross. Kind of starting to melt a little bit in my pocket. But, you know, if this, if this bar represents our, our time and, and our money, what we do as well, you know, I, I, I really got really to pay the mortgage and get some more stuff, so... Mm. You know, I got I to really spend, spend my time on, on the internet, wasting my time. Mmm. Mmm. This is disgusting, actually. <laughs> this is not fun to eat. And you say, well, I, I really got to get that new car, more stuff, nicer phone. And I'm, I really got to catch that episode of The Office. Mmm. Oh, hey, look, God, I got two minutes at the end of my day. Here you go. This is really bad. <laughs> I don't need some more. But God's like, are you kidding me? This is what you're going to offer to God? Oh, David, do you want this? Anybody want this? Nobody wants this. This is disgusting. And we pretend that we can offer our lives in the same way to God? And he says to the priest, are you kidding me? I am God. I deserve your best. I deserve everything. And he really believes that. He doesn't want our leftovers. I need a drink of water. I'm sorry. That was disgusting. Look what Jesus says in Revelation. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Dang, that's Jesus saying this. That's not me. I'm just, I'm just saying what Jesus is saying. He's saying he doesn't want your lukewarm faith. He doesn't want our lukewarm Christianity, our lukewarm worship, our lukewarm church, your lukewarm giving, your lukewarm worship. He wants you either hot or cold. He wants you one or the other. Which one are we going to be? And you might say, wow, this, Nate, this sounds harsh. This, sound, this sounds really intense. But ask yourself this question. What do you want from the people in your life? Do you want a lukewarm spouse? Imagine if your spouse spent all their time with somebody else throughout the day, and then you talked to your spouse for two minutes at the end of the day, and then if you weren't tired enough, that you got to spend another hour with them on a Sunday morning, and that's all you got to see them. You wouldn't want that kind of relationship. You'd want one or the other. Either be, either be committed to me or not. Either give me your all or nothing. He doesn't want our leftovers. 
But we deceive ourselves into thinking, oh, God will take it. At least I'm going to church. At least I'm praying a little bit. No, God wants our everything. He'd rather shut down the worship service than take the scraps. That's the kind of God we worship. So we're, our, the first lie we're tempted to believe is that God actually likes our leftovers. The third lie that we're tempted to believe is that every belief and interpretation is valid. Every belief and interpretation is valid. If you want to skim over chapter 2, if you didn't read it, here's what's going on. God has a bone to pick with the priests. And he says the, says the priests are not teaching his word correctly. They're teaching it falsely. And, and look what he says in verse 7. God says, The lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty and people seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned from the way and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. See, the, pre, the priests were teaching incorrectly. They were not teaching what God wanted, it, wanted them to say. And uh, the people, they actually believed them. That's why it says they, they caused many, the priests were causing people to stumble because the people were believing it. The people thought that they could trust their priests. You know, these people that were ordained, they were official. By all outward appearances, they loved God, they, they loved the people, and they were supposed to speak on his behalf, so why not believe them? And the same thing happens today. There are pastors and leaders and officials and, and other Christians that teach the word falsely. They, they twist it and they say all kinds of things that aren't true. But if you were to look at their lives, you'd say, well, they love God. They love Jesus. They're a pastor. But you look at them and say, well, but you'd want to believe them, but you have to watch out. That's why it's so tricky. And if you don't believe me, <laughs> look at, just read the New Testament. Jesus and Paul, they consistently warn about false teachers who will come in all the time. But, and people today, they don't want the true teaching, the matter-of-fact word of God. They'll just say, well, that's just your interpretation. That's just your opinion on the text. That's just your belief. And let me clarify, there are many ways, there are certainly many ways of understanding different things, and we have some, some freedom to see some things in different ways, but there is, there is a true and sound doctrine of, the, of, the, of Christianity. And, I mean, if you, tell me, if you tell me that, you know, the earth is flat, and I say, well, the earth is round, well, it doesn't change the matter-of-fact by you saying, well, that's just my interpretation. It doesn't, that doesn't change anything. It doesn't change the truth. Now, I don't have time to spend debunking relativism with you. But God clearly was talking to the priests and saying, you're teaching the word falsely. You're teaching it incorrectly. And look what Paul warned his, his uh, mentee, Timothy. Look what he says. He says, the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Look, if, if there are things that you don't like in Christianity, if there are things you don't like in the Bible, I can find you a pastor, I can find you a teacher, I can find you a book that'll tell you what you want to hear. If you, if you, if you want to believe that, you know, that, that Jesus is just one of many ways and that there's, God is not going to judge anybody and God's not gonna, you know, God doesn't really care about sin, I can find you pastors who will tell you that. If you just want to believe that, that, that marriage can be redefined and that your sexual desires are God-given and God says just pursue them, I can tell you a pastor who will tell you that. If you just want to believe that God will, just wants to bless you with prosperity and, finan and financially and that he's there just to make your life good, I can find pastors and teachers who will tell you that. You can, we can find anything that, anything that you want to hear, that you would like to hear. 
You can find it. And the time comes when people are doing that. We're living in such a crazy time right now where the word is being twisted in so many ways so that people hear what they want to hear. So the question is, how do you find the truth? How do you find the truth when people just say, well, everything's valid? Well, I can't give you everything, but here's two things. You need to know the word of God. You need to know the Bible. And you need to know its depth and its breadth. I mean, do you remember Jesus' temptation in the wilderness? Do you remember what one of the tactics Satan used? What did he do? Satan actually quoted scripture. He quotes the scripture to Jesus. And he says, Jesus, look what the Bible says. And then what does Jesus do right back? He quotes another scripture. Well, you, don't, you, you forgot about this one over here. You see, people will just point out one scripture and they say, well, God says this and that's, that's, that's the end of the matter. But you don't know the breadth and the depth and we have to use scripture to interpret scripture. So that's one way to help. The second thing that, we, that will help you is you need to look to the tradition of the church. If, 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 if Christ followers for 2,000 years across different cultures and continents in time for 2,000 years have always believed the same thing, and now there's a group of people and pastors saying, well, now we finally got it right, they're probably wrong. They're probably wrong because the Holy Spirit is leading his church into the spirit of truth. So you need to know the word and you need to look to the tradition of the church. The fourth uh, lie that the people of Malachi's day were tempted to believe was this, was my sin is private and doesn't affect anybody else. Chapter 2, verse 10. Look what Malachi says. He says, do we not all have one father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? Well, how are the people being unfaithful? Well, here's what they were doing. There were many of the men, they were divorcing their wives for no reason and leaving them vulnerable in the community without, without, without provision and finances and household. And then also, they were marrying foreign women who worshipped other gods. And so they were bringing this worship of other gods into the community. And he's saying, we're being unfaithful to each other because you're making choices that are affecting our entire community. And then what happens is, look in verse 15. It says, God wants godly offspring. What is he saying? He's, he's saying, how can we, I want, I want to raise up the next generation to be godly. And how can the next generation be godly if they have unstable homes and they have homes that worship other gods? That's, that's not going to do the trick. And so he's saying that everything that you do has an, has an effect on all of us. And because Christianity is better caught than it's taught, we're all learning how to live as followers of Christ from each other. So the choices we make, the things we do, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we live together as a church, they affect the entire community. I mean, everything that you do has an influence on every single person around you. And so Malachi is saying, we're all in the same family. We're all, we're all in the same family here. And so what we do affects each other. And so we have to remember this in our, in our life together as a church. Everything that you do has an effect on everybody else here. You know, your, your, your commitment to God, your commitment to the church, your commitment to whatever, that has an effect on all of us as, as, as a body. And if just one of you, if just one person today were to say, you know what, I'm done giving God any of my leftovers, I'm going to, I'm going to live this thing out, I'm not going to be lukewarm, I'm going to follow Jesus. If just one person made that change in their life today, that would have a massive ripple effect in our church, it would have a massive ripple effect in our community, in the community to the world. That's how transformation happens. 
when people decide to go to Jesus and make a change. So that's number four. And then number five, here's the last one. The last lie we believe is that God is pleased with sinners. Last lie we believe. Look at chapter two, look at verse 17. This isn't just me saying this. It says, you have wearied the Lord with your words. Well, how have you wearied him, you ask? And this is what they were saying. Here's the lie. All who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or where is the God of justice? You see, what was happening was the people who were living in sin and, and pursuing, uh, going against God's ways, they, they were doing fine. They were being prosperous. And they're saying, well, God must be pleased with them. God is okay with them. That's a fine way to live. And we started this message with God loves all of us, right? God loves all of us. But that doesn't mean he's pleased when we sin. It doesn't mean he's pleased when we, we choose to go away from him. Uh, in fact, it's quite the opposite. Look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6. And, and here's the context of this. The people in Corinthians, they were saying, well, God has given us freedom in Christ, therefore God, we can do whatever we want. And so he's saying, no, this is not the case. He says, do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Don't believe the lie. Don't believe the lie. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were washed from your sin. You were sanctified. You were made holy. And you were justified. You were made right before God through Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. He's saying that, that's the old way. That's what you were. We've washed you. We've, you've been cleansed from all of that. And, he's not, and look, he's not, he's not pitting any sin against one against the other. All kinds of sins are in there. Lust and greed and, and, all, and all kinds of stuff. And he's saying, that's what some of you were. Don't be deceived. God's love compels him to be against the sin in our lives because sin brings destruction. It brings destruction in our lives both now and forever. And so he's against it because he loves you. You know, the Pharisees, they complained that Jesus hang out with sinner, hung out with sinners, right? That he was eating with them. Do you remember this? They were complaining. Why are you doing that? And so I think we take that to mean, well, Jesus didn't care about their sin too much. But that's, that's not the case. Do you remember what he said? He said his response was that, I'm, actually, I'm paraphrasing, he's, he's saying, I'm actually a doctor coming to bring healing to those who are sick. And it's actually only those who can recognize that they are sinners who can receive my healing and my grace. That's what Jesus was saying. Not that he didn't care too much about their sin. He's actually trying to bring healing to them from it. And Malachi, he says that this is exactly what Jesus was going to do. Look at chapter 3, verse 2. He says, the Lord's going to be coming to you, and he's going to be what? A refiner's fire and a launderer's soap. He's going to burn out the sin in our lives, and he's going to wash it out with soap. He's going to bring healing and redemption. He's going to be a fire that brings cleansing to our lives. So because God is love, he's against sin. And he invites us all to find healing in him, to repent, and to find healing in his love. So my question to you this morning is, what lie are you most believing right now? Where are you being most deceived? Perhaps you're this morning and you're, you're really doubting God's love for you. Maybe you're doubting it more after hearing the last bit that I said. Maybe you're doubting God's love. God, I pray that the Holy Spirit opens your eyes, that you might understand the depth, the height, the width, the, the length, 
of God's love for you in Christ Jesus. Maybe you've been giving God your leftovers and you're just, you're just okay with that. And you're being deceived that you can give God less than your best. I invite you to repent of that this morning. Choose today. Will you give him your best or not? Who will you serve this morning? Perhaps you're this morning and you're, really, you're, you're believing that every interpretation, every belief is, is, is valid equally. Well, I invite you to search the scriptures, to pray, to study. Maybe you have questions still. Maybe you have doubts still. That's okay. But don't give up on that. Seek out the truth. Christians should be people of the truth, that we seek it out and we seek answers. Perhaps you're believing that your life of secret sin won't affect anybody. And if you've seen anything in the news lately about Christian leaders, you know that that's not the case. Our sins will eventually find us out. And we have, to, we have to recognize that what we do affects everybody else in our lives. So I invite you to confess, to find healing and redemption in Christ Jesus. And maybe you're believing that God is pleased with sin. And you need to come back to his word and recognize that God is at work destroying sin in our lives and invites us to repent. Friends, we are only able to believe and do all these things through Jesus Christ and through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth leading us into all truth. And Malachi prophesied that Jesus would come, that this Redeemer would come, and he says the Son of Righteousness would rise with healing in its rays. So Jesus is the Son that brings healing to all of the brokenness in every part of your life, in every part of our world. And he seeks to do that in his offering on the cross, his giving of himself, that his love for you was so that you could become a pure offering to him. That you might not give him your leftovers, but you might say, in view of God's mercy, I offer myself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. His offering so that we could become offerings to God. Let's pray that God does that in our hearts.